whether you are starting a business or running a business, maybe you're producing a podcast like The Kara Golden Show. Let's face it, it's always way harder than one might expect. Lots of little details, meticulous planning, producing product, guest coordination, editing, promoting each episode. It's all a ton of work. Managing merchandise, managing cases and book sales too, layer after layer of complexity. And if you're like me, looking for ways to operate more efficiently and effectively is the name of the game. That's why I'm going to let you in on a little secret. ShipStation, the tool that is here to help you and you need to know all about it. With ShipStation, you can integrate with all the places you sell online, optimize your shipping, save costs and time. Personally, ShipStation has been a lifesaver for me. Its automation features allow me to manage orders from anywhere and print shipping labels with just a click. Seriously, it's that easy. And the cost savings? Unbelievable. With discounts up to 89% off carrier rates, you can't go wrong. Significant savings. And who doesn't want that? An easy-to-use dashboard, robust reporting. Oh, and did I mention that over 130,000 companies have leveraged ShipStation to grow their businesses? Not much churn either. 98% of them stay with ShipStation because it truly works. ShipStation is it. So if you're ready to streamline your shipping process and focus more on what you love, head over to ShipStation.com the innovative tool that helps turn your shipping challenges into opportunities for growth. Go to ShipStation.com and use code CARA to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, code CARA. Use code CARA for a free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, promo code CARA. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is... Uh, the ability to act in a terrifying environment where you don't have all the answers and you don't know how it's going to work out. I am unwilling to give up that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out, knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control, control, control. Hi everyone. And welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders. We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm so excited to have my next guest here, who is not only a guest, but also a friend. We've been trying to get him on the show for some time, <laughs> and uh, just so, so excited to, to have him here. We have Craig Mullaney here, who is a partner at the Brunswick Group. Uh, we are so thrilled to welcome him to our show. But let me just tell you a little bit about Craig, because it doesn't stop, even though that's an amazing, amazing role that you're in, but it doesn't stop there. So Craig is a U.S. Army veteran and a celebrated author and a tech entrepreneur as well. And 
Craig's career has spanned the military, government, and the private sector, serving in distinguished capacities across all of his roles. And as a U.S. Army captain, Craig led an infantry platoon stationed on the Afghanistan-Pakistan border, earning a Bronze Star, Army Commendation Medal, and the Combat Infantry Badge for his service. And he recounted his tour of duty in the unforgettable memoir, The Unforgiving Minute, A Soldier's Education, which the Washington Post recognized as one of the best books of 2009, and the Military Times cited as one of the best books of that decade. And I have to say, when I uh, knew that Craig was an author, I met him at uh, when he was at Facebook, and I remember reading the book, and I could not put it down. I'm not just saying that. I think I told you that, Craig. I was like, yeah. Craig had said, oh, yeah, I'm an author, too. But when I read it, I was absolutely blown away on so many levels. And uh, just a couple of more little tidbits. He, uh, Craig served in the Obama administration at USAID, overseeing venture funding for technology solutions in the developing world. And he also worked in the Pentagon. And I mean, what haven't you done, Craig? This is just unbelievable. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, just so many amazing things. Joining the Department of Defense as Principal Director for Afghanistan and Pakistan and the Central Asia Policy. And I mean, just so, so much. And then also, as I just mentioned, where I met Craig uh, was at, when he, he was at Facebook, but he was also leading strategy and operations prior to that, a company called Ustream. Some of you might be familiar with that. And uh, really, really amazing. Um, I mean, you've just spanned, like, how old are you, 80 or something? Like, <laughs> you're done. It's a, just absolutely crazy. So anyway, we're going to talk about all of that. And he's now a partner at the Brunswick Group, uh, which is an advisory firm specializing in business critical issues. So enough of me talking. I'm so excited, Craig, to have you here. Oh, awesome to be with you, Karen. Very cool. So tell us a bit about, you ready for this question? It's the hardest one you'll get today, about little Craig. So tell us, <laughs> tell us what, who was Craig? Who was kid Craig? I was a, a, probably a, an overly serious child. Um, I spent a lot of my time in my own head, uh, sort of voracious reader, uh, lived in a, in a pretty rural part of Rhode Island, Oldest of four kids, Irish working class family, uh, mother's nurse, dad worked uh, at the utility company. Um, I spent a lot of time out out in the woods, a lot of imaginative play with my siblings and friends in the neighborhood. Um, the wrestling was my sport. Um, just really interested in that challenge, sort of one-on-one -on -one in the ring where you really have no excuses and no escape. Um, but it sort of taught me to stand up in the face of adversity and uh, kind of find that hidden strength when you sort of run up against your limits. So interesting. So you you went to West Point. I did. How did you get there? Honestly, I'd never given any thought to a military career or service academy until I went on a road trip in high school with a with a classmate uh, who happened to be a military brat and. Uh, we visited New York City and we needed a cheap place 
uh, or free place to stay. We were 17 year olds. So we stayed with one of his family friends at West Point. It turned out this was the director of admissions house. It was all a trick. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I don't think I was being, you know, recruited per se. Um, but just sort of walking around the campus, I recognized that this was different than any of the other universities that I'd, I'd visited. Um, How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is The Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? 
you can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think, and makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of The Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for The Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. I found it a really compelling proposition I wanted to learn more about. And uh, I followed through, I applied, and a year later, I was a new cadet at West Point. What surprised you about West Point when you got there? When I saw it for the first time, I guess what was so different was how earnest and the cadets were like, there is no irony Mm-hmm. At West Point, mm-hmm. um, very little cynicism. I found the, uh, you know, when the cadets talked about service, about loyalty, about integrity, they really meant it, and uh, that in- inspired me as a seventeen-year-old who hadn't yet really found his purpose. Hmm. Um, you know, I didn't know what shape that service would take for me, but it it aligned very much with. You know, my high school and my family value system, uh, I, went to, I was at a Christian Brothers high school and, you know, there was a lot of talk about selfless service. I just, I didn't know exactly how that was going to manifest itself for me. Um, you know, arriving there as an 18 year old, um, sort of a new cadet, you go through cadet basic training. Um, you know, it's, it is a four year, 47 month leadership development academy. Mm-hmm. But the first thing you have to learn in being a leader is how to be a follower. And that's that whole first year is about learning to follow and learning to be a teammate um, and being observant of the leaders above you Mm -hmm. um, in a way that's going to shape who you become as a leader. And I just think that's a really special opportunity for a young man or woman um, very early in their career to be able to have that conscientious leadership laboratory uh, to participate in. That's so interesting, actually, just thinking on what you're saying. So why do you think it's hard for for people to do that? I mean, do you think everybody wants to be a leader, and especially at a place like West Point? Do you think that there's a lot of people that come in with you know, bravado and, you know, wanting to kind of be that or is, I mean, why is it so hard to actually follow and, and maybe not be the, 
you know, the, the wisest in the room in some way. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. I mean, they, so, so they're definitely selecting for leadership attributes. So I, I remember distinctly one of the first times, you know, my uh, new cadet platoon, you know, there may be about 40 of us new cadets and there are some cadre who are in charge mm-hmm. and we, you get into formation. So you're in lines of 10 and there was this exercise where like, raise your hand if you were valedictorian, um, you know, 70% of the hands go up, sure. raise your hand if you were a team captain, raise your hand if you were a student council president. And it was like literally everyone in this group had had mm-hmm. some kind of leadership role in high school. And, and, and that's why they were there. Um, but, you know, you, you sort of, you're the top of the heap as a high school senior, and now you're at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're in an entirely different culture and a different domain, and there's so much to learn. And you can't learn unless you're humble, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's, that is a lesson I've taken with me in all these various roles I've had in my career is, to, you know, starting from a position of humility, I mean, confidence that you can learn in any environment, but a real humility that you don't have all the answers and you have something to learn from every single person you meet. Yeah, I think that's so true. I mean, that's very, very different situation, but I think that is really what got me excited about even jumping into the beverage industry, as crazy as that sound, where I came from tech and you know, I was youngest vice president at AOL. I was one of the few females, you know, it was at that level. And and then suddenly I I get all excited about this whole world of beverages that you know really stem from me trying to solve a problem for myself mm-hmm. around diet sweeteners and getting myself healthy became I became passionate about it, but I didn't know how to get there. And so, you know, the idea of going into Whole Foods and saying, how do I get a product on the shelf? You know, they'd say, well, what'd you do before? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I was like in tech and I wasn't, but I was used to being a tech executive. I was used to being, mm-hmm. that was my identity. And I got really excited about walking into an industry and, you know, figured out a couple of months later that I was starting an entirely new category. So I really had no idea what I was talking about. And I loved being in a space of you know, kind of being a, kind of being a leader and a follower on the same mm-hmm. day where I was like, you know, don't look at me. I, I have no idea what I'm doing. You know, <laughs> what is like, how do I find a distributor? Do you have a phone number? I mean, I, I had no idea what I was doing. And, and I think that there is that humility, um, you know, and especially when you've kind of been top of your game, your ability to actually go down to the bottom and learn and be in a learning position is really exciting. But I think it takes like a mindset shift where, mm-hmm. you know, people, you you have to be conscious to do it. And it's pretty scary, right? Like, what if yeah. you look terrible? I mean, you don't want to be like the low man on the totem pole and be stepped on, right? I mean, I'm sure you see that all the time there. That it's attitude starts coming out all, and it really stems from fear more. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think it's it's such a it's really really interesting what you're talking about. So, I have to assume, obviously. Um, so you left West Point. Um, you had a few stops along the way. I know you uh, went to that that little school over in uh, the UK, and uh, and then uh, what was the moment when you figured out that you were actually going into the military? Now, I mean, you were in the military, but now it was like game game time at this point. I mean, it became real 
for me, I mean, like I think many of my classmates on 9-11. So I was in graduate school at the time. I was traveling in New Zealand and I was uh, sort of shopping for groceries at a you know the local convenience store when I saw the the towers fall on the little TV behind the the clerk. Uh, I was the only American in this small town uh, on the North Island in New Zealand, and I knew at that moment that you know I was going to have to cash this blank check that I was you know this raising my hand and volunteering to serve my country uh, but was going to really mean something. Um, and two years later, I found myself in Afghanistan as a platoon leader with an opportunity to, um, you know, make a small dent, you know, against a resurgent uh, Al-Qaeda and Taliban force just across the border inside Pakistan. Um, but I, I sort of I knew at nine on 9-11 that there would be an American military response and that I would, you know, I'd be honored and privileged and lucky to have an opportunity to contribute to that fight. Wow. So your book, The Unforgiving Minute, A Soldier's Education. So what inspired you to write this? I mean, let's back up. What? So, I mean, a lot happened, but what was kind of the core, you know, without giving away too much? I mean, tell us about the, the major piece. The real fulcrum of the book and the unforgiving minute, which I'm referencing in the title, is mm-hmm. uh, September 29, 2003. I'm the platoon leader of a platoon of 25 men in the midst of a, a very complex ambush just inside that pa- Afghan-Pakistan border. And in the opening salvos of this attack on our unit, uh, Private First Class Evan O'Neill in my platoon was shot uh, and killed. Uh, I hear this conveyed to me from my squad leader over the radio. And, you know, that's the moment where you sort of you earn your salute. What decisions do you make as a leader under those circumstances? And, you know, the book is ultimately a reflection, not just on how one leads and that very specific military uh, unforgiving minute, but you know more broadly, every person in their career is going to come to one of those pivotal moments mm-hmm. where you have to lead. What is it about your education, your career, your experiences that prepares you to answer that question? What do we do now? Um, and that's what this book was a reflection on. That's why the subtitle is the education of a leader. You know, there's a lot that you can learn in the classroom, but there's so much more that you're going to learn outside the classroom. And I was writing the book very much with the audience of my students in mind. I was teaching at the Naval Academy. My brother, West Point class of 2007, was about to graduate. And I asked, what would I want to know if I were in their shoes, could I help them avoid some of the costly mistakes that I made as a young lieutenant? And more broadly, could I help bridge a gap in understanding between those who've you know, worn a military uniform and the great majority of Americans and otherwise who haven't? Many people have expressed 
their, I think, authentic gratitude and respect and acknowledgement of military service. And, you know, you, you mm -hmm. hear this in the thank you for your service. Mm -hmm. I said, well, what's the next step? Understand that service. You know, mm -hmm. what does it, what did it mean? What does it mean for so many, you know, at this point, that tens of thousands of, of Americans who served in these wars representing the United States overseas? Um, so I hope, you know, I think maybe for you, this, this helps sort of clarify that experience in some way. And I, and I, I get a lot of uh, correspondence from uh, people who feel this has helped them understand a loved one who's worn a uniform better. It's um, helped them start a conversation with a veteran and, you know, sort of deepen their understanding as a, sort of that next step in gratitude. Well, I've gifted the book to many people. I think I mentioned to you a friend of, uh, my son's went is at West Point, and I had gifted it uh, to him and a few other people who you know were considering going. So it's definitely um, it's definitely kind of bridged and, and talked about a conversation too, because I think there are a lot of people who don't come from a military family who do want to serve and and are you know excited. And I think sometimes those people, what I find is they feel a little alone, right? They don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, who can I talk to about this? What What is it really like, right? It's sort of, mm -hmm. I mean, it probably the idea of, you know, now I get to have a gun or what, whatever the, I mean, that just sort of goes away, right? As soon as you start to really think about all the different steps. I think your book does an incredible job of just describing that it is really a time of Sometimes you've got to show up and sometimes you've got to lead maybe when you didn't expect, right, that this is what you've got to do. And, and I think more than anything, I mean, it just is, uh, I mean, huge respect on so many levels after, you know, I, I read it and had a cl more clear understanding. But also, I think it really speaks to, too, you know, when you're confronted with fears and we've all got fears, um, you know, clearly your situation, I think, was on another level of fear. It must have been incredibly scary. But did you sit there on that at that moment and actually think? Like, was it the most scared you'd ever been? Or sometimes I feel like when you're in a super scary situation, you don't even thinking back on it, you think, oh wow, that was really scary. But did you know you were scared or did you say it's time to not be complacent and instead go do something? Yeah. I mean it's terrifying yeah. to be in a firefight. Yeah. And your vulnerability is so obvious when you're in a situation where you already have men who've been wounded or killed. You cannot help but be cognizant of your own mortality. And, you know, what another author called the fierce, fierce geometry of chance that mm -hmm. a mortar lands five feet away from me and my radio man. It doesn't explode. Why? Why in that one instance was I lucky? But, you know, Private O'Neill wasn't. But so much of the training uh, up to that point is about in the face of fear, in the face of chaos, having the clarity of mind and the sort of muscle memory and the instincts to act, you know, to, to act and move. Uh, with, you know, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is uh, the ability to act in a terrifying environment where you don't have all the answers and you don't know how it's going to work out. It's so interesting. 
So I always think about too, that obviously you, you have people in your situation coming from all over the U S all walks mm-hmm. of life, right? You, maybe you don't even know what some of their family backgrounds are, certainly their education levels. And, and then all of a sudden it's like, you're the boss and they're not right. And they need to listen and they need to trust, right? Especially when you're faced with the, you know, craziness that, that you all were facing. How do, how do you, I mean, where do you even start to lead in that situation? Because it's not just about, you know, going to the office and turning on the computer or whatever, right? Like there, there's a lot there and a lot of trust and, and you have to trust them that they're going to be supporting and protecting Mm -hmm. and all of that. Like, how do you, I don't know, how do you get through the honeymoon phase quickly and, and start to really build that? I took command of this platoon about six months before we deployed. And that train up for deployment, that that's the time where you build trust, you know, mm-hmm. and part it's trust during training so that when you're, when you're out rehearsing an ambush or response to an ambush, you know, that's an environment where you can take the time to explain why left and not right, you know, mm-hmm. why this particular decision and not another decision. And sort of explaining your thought process and talking through that during what we would always have an after action review following any training event. That builds confidence because honestly, when you're in the heat of the moment in a real combat situation, you can't blow a whistle, take a timeout and, you know, and overanalyze something. Mm-hmm. I have to make a call as a leader and I need to know that, you know, squad leaders, a platoon sergeant underneath me are going to sort of execute those decisions without without hesitation mm-hmm. and they have they will do that if you've built that confidence and trust in a training environment um and then the other half of that is you know what it means to be a, a very human empathetic empathetic and connected leader where it's you know, this becomes your family mm-hmm. uh, you know we ate slept patrolled together you know, hundreds of times. I, in many ways, feel closer to those brothers I served with in Afghanistan than, you know, my closest of friends outside of that environment. And then, you know, some of that's, you've got to have a vulnerability and a willingness to share your biographical details and who you are. And you've got to be genuinely interested in the people who are serving underneath you, their own circumstances, you know, whether it's, you know, a, a senior enlisted who's got kids back home, you know, that's, yeah. that's on their mind. Um, they have a financial situation that they're grappling with. Now, maybe they have a friend in another unit who's been killed or wounded. You know, you are as, as an army platoon leader, you are a, a coach, a mentor, a tactician, a therapist, a financial advisor, a social worker. Uh, it's what makes it such a makes it such an amazing developmental experience in a young young person's life. So interesting. So you transitioned into the public service after being in the military. Was was it tough to go from military background into kind of the public service? I mean, was it or was it easier? In many ways, like <laughs> I would think like the structure, I mean, did it just did, you know, being in a public environment, like, was it, 
a lot less structured, I would imagine, but also was it hard, you know, for you yeah. to... I mean, so I think there was sort of a two jumps. So I made mm -hmm. the initial jump was from the army to the, you know, the 2008 uh, Obama campaign. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other jump was from politics into entrepreneurial life. Um, 10 days after I left the army, separated from the army, I was in Chicago on the Obama campaign staff. There was so much that felt familiar. I mean, you're on a campaign. There are battleground states. Uh, you are fighting for every vote. Uh, there's an air game and a ground game. I and mean, so much of the language is militarized. There's a similar camaraderie, a focus on a singular goal. You know, so on the one hand, and superficially, there's a lot of similarity, and it's a, it's a very exciting environment. And we had a number of veterans on that campaign as volunteers and as staff. And you know, I think. We, we fit in and, and it was not as difficult a jump as you might think. Um, in other respects, you know, the language, I had to learn a whole new vocabulary. Um, I had to think about how I would translate sort of very specific technical knowledge I had about the military for communicating to a broader audience for, you know, for the candidate and for the campaign. Um, I think that the harder jump was going from DC to Silicon Valley. Um, and I know you've been in both, both worlds, yeah. but you know, you're at, you feel like a very quote unquote powerful person as a mid-level bureaucrat in a federal government agency. And the whole world seems to sort of revolve around the decisions that are made in Washington, DC or the Pentagon. And then suddenly I'm in California and, you know, almost no interest, uh, and my experience in sort of national security policy, you know, it was a different, very different kind of bubble. Because most people didn't know what it was, right? They were like, hey, Craig, let's go grab a cup of coffee, right? Or a hint, right? <laughs> it's yeah. like the officer, right? I mean, that that yeah. is um, interesting. And, you know, these are smart people, right? But probably not a lot of them had spent any time in Washington. But you find it, you know, I, when you start looking, you find a lot of very um, veterans who are in prominent executive roles at top Silicon Valley companies, mm -hmm. uh, you know, CFOs and CEOs at, at big companies, um, you know, CFO of Pinterest, the former CEO of Twitter, they are military veterans. And I think that they were able, and I found some degree of success in that world because, you know, you can, you're comfortable in ambiguity. Mm -hmm. You can make a plan in the midst of chaos. You're able to operate independently. Um, you know, there's a misconception that the military is a hierarchy, but in an operational setting, I was 200 miles away from my boss. Mm -hmm. I had to make decisions in the moment, day to day, on my own best judgment. And I think that is a sort of a similar attribute required of an entrepreneur, Silicon Valley, or start any small business. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think that it's just, I think your background is, uh, I mean, so valuable to have inside of an organization too, because I bet people gravitate towards that too, especially when they don't know what to do. And, and, you know, certainly in, uh, 
the last 15 months, I think it was, you know, a crazy, scary time, unprecedented time where even the people who felt like they knew how to lead, um, you know, there were, there was a lot of complacency, particularly Mm -hmm. amongst entrepreneurs that I know that were just, you know, didn't know how to evaluate even what was going on. And it really was spinning out of control, especially in people's minds. And I think it's, uh, you know, for me in particular, it was, uh, it was a time where we're an essential product. So we actually are required during times of a pandemic, which obviously I'd never been through to continue working. So while everybody else was sheltering in place, we were, I was, leading a team saying, uh, actually, here's your hand sanitizers and gloves. And uh, good thing we have, you know, N95 masks left over from the California fi- fires in the, you know, in the warehouse, because we're going to get them all out to you um, tomorrow. And I mean, we had a few people in our team who obviously feel incredibly comfortable with me say, uh, are you, cr- are you trying to kill us? And uh wow. You know, I mean, it was it was a lot, you know, yeah. and and it was uh, the only way that I know how to lead. And I've never actually been in the military, but I would imagine it's it's similar in some ways is to actually go out with the team and actually see what was going on. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they were scared. They were operating out of fear. They, you know, didn't really want to go in that direction. And I think I couldn't sit in my office, my home office and do yep. the work. I had to, you know, put on my Lululemon pants and hint jacket and I went out, you know, and I went into Target and I started figuring out, you know, how can I make my team feel safer? I yeah. asked the manager how to, if it was okay, if I came in, they open at seven, can we come in? Can I send my team in at 6 a.m.? You know, at where when no one's in here and no one's mm-hmm. been here for 12 hours. I, I don't know. Hopefully the virus won't still be here. It might, but I mean, I think that that was the best thing that I could do. And I offered that to, you know, the team. And I think what I was able to do at a higher level was actually look at strategy. And I think to what you've said a couple of times is as a leader asking, what can we do and not staying complacent and, uh, we even had a, a friend of mine, Allison Levine, who has scaled Everest a couple of times. She talked about not staying complacent and continuing to move and how, you know, she missed a giant glacier almost falling on her head if she would have stayed still. And she said <sighs> she's learned it every time. Like you have to keep moving. And if you stop and you freak yourself out, then, mm-hmm. you know, that's where the trouble begins. And I think it it it's true. And you know, as a climber, as a, in the military and, you know, running a company, it's like when you don't know what to do, it's very rare that you sit there and do nothing. Right. I think. Yeah. It's just start with a list, right? Like what else can I learn about this situation? Like, you know, what else can I do? It's, it's, you're continuously problem solving. So, so true. So you went to Silicon Valley, you became a leading expert on digital and social media. And, you know, that, that could be a session in and of itself, of of course. Um, How do you think, maybe this is like even a session too, but how do you, even since you've left the military, when you, when you think about, uh, you know, 
cybersecurity and digital and social media and like how do you think that even you know ground battles have changed or i mean mm. it, it, has it become trickier uh you know for just the world i mean i i feel like there's just a lot more communication even in the last 20 years clearly than what was going on even right. when 911 i mean the operational security has changed a lot right so i mean it would I was in Afghanistan the first time in 2003. I think we had one satellite phone for the base, right? And you could call anyone anywhere in the world. And I, I remember being on the phone with my best friend and I was like, I'm going to have to call you back. A rocket just landed in our perimeter. <laughs> I hung up and I think that just blew his mind. Like I, yeah. I was just on a phone call with you and a rock, you're under a rocket attack. Oh my God. You know, that sense progressed where, I mean, you, you know, you have combatants in Iraq and Afghanistan with cell phones and email, you know, always on email access who are in continuous communication with their families and loved ones back home. I mean, how different is that from, you know, even 20, 25 years ago, uh, you know, waiting two weeks for a letter to get back to a loved one. Um, so, I mean, that creates challenges. I mean, you, they're, still needs to be a certain degree of self-censorship and what gets communicated back home because it could put your your buddies at risk in, in an inadvertent way. Technology changed so rap rapidly in that context, the ability to sort of look over the horizon via drones. I mean, this was cutting edge in 2003. You know, now this is, you know, as a matter of course, you wouldn't think of doing an operation without that kind of intelligence. It's wild to think about it. Yeah. And it just keeps getting, you know, more and more complex, I think, as you yes. as you think about it. It just uh it seems like technology has just sped up and more and more, even in, you know, the last few years. So it's really, really interesting yeah. to think back on it. So uh when you look back on uh on your life, I always think it's it's much more fun to you know look backwards and and uh I was just on a podcast talking about a, I love the Steve Jobs saying of, you know, the dots eventually connect. And it it really like is helpful to me even mm -hmm. when I look back on challenging times and think about, you know, maybe I couldn't actually tie a beautiful ribbon around why that scary stuff happened or why that bad thing happened. But what would you, how would you sum up, you know, kind of like, what is your quote? When you look back on on your life, like what have you learned? I'll explain. I think it's this principle or mindset of it's not about you. I was going through ranger school, just sort of the, one of the toughest endurance tests and military training. We'd been operating for twenty four hours straight. Our unit had sort of come to an end of the mission for that day, and we we're sort of setting in a patrol base to get some rest before the next day. Half of us get assigned to go to sleep. The other half are going to stay awake and then you'll sort of take turns through the night. Yeah. Woke up about 10 minutes later to the sound of gunfire. We all start firing off into the perimeter thinking we're under attack. And the ranger instructor sort of calls a ceasefire. And it becomes obvious that what happened was the guys who were supposed to stay awake, the ranger students fell asleep. And so the instructor snuck into our perimeter you know, pulled the trigger on our own machine gun and spooked us into 
uh, a false counter attack. So we get pun- we our punishment was to march all through the all through the night with these seventy pound rucksacks, exhausting after an exhausting day, and then lined us up and asked us one by one why we were at Ranger School. And yeah, one guy is like, I didn't have a choice. My platoon sergeant made me. Uh, I know another. I'm here for the challenge. You know, always wanted to be a ranger. And the instructor, he was not happy with any of those answers. He said, Rangers, it's not about you. This training is about the soldiers that you're going to lead. So I don't care if you're sick or tired or hungry or miss your girlfriend. You're here to train so that you can be better leaders. And I mean, obviously that obtains in a military context. It makes sense. But I've tried to remind myself, not always successfully, in a variety of roles that it's not about you, right? Like your company is not about you, Kara, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's the customers, the communities, uh, the employees. Totally. Um, And I just find I have so much more motivation to do the work I need to do when I don't have when I'm not thinking about myself first. I think that's something I'm glad I was taught that 20 years ago in my career. I think other people learned that a bit later, Uh, but it's so liberating and inspiring. Yeah, I was going to say that too. It is really liberating because when you think about it, it's like it. I think deep down, people do care about other people and they want to they want to lift people right they want to help people and and i think especially when you have really challenging times when you start to really think about those other those other people whether it's you know your employees your customers you know your the other people that are in your platoon whatever it really is about those other people and how do you support and lift and lead and they all kind of have their different moments, I guess, and it's hard to separate them. But uh, yeah, that is, I think liberating is is a great word for that because it's it has me really thinking a lot about that. But well, this is incredible. And uh, the Unforgiving Minute, again, Craig wrote this book a, a few years ago, but it is so relevant on so many levels and truly not just because you're my friend. It really was one of the best books. And I've used it on a number of the podcasts that I've done as like one of my favorite books. And, and again, just if you have never been in the military, maybe you don't even know anyone who's been in the military. I think it's just, it's got so much relevance in there. And you, I really felt like I was, I was closer to you when I was reading this book too, that I just said, oh my God, you know, how can I support him? And how, how can I, Like, I can't even imagine, you know, going through some of the stuff that you went through. So I'm not going to give it all away. You guys really have to read this. But where can people find, uh, what social channels are you on? Oh, yeah. People find you. Yeah, I'm at at Craig M. Mullaney on uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram. Uh, I do most of my writing and thinking and engagement on LinkedIn these days. Um, of course you can. And you have a newsletter too, don't you? I do. I've got a new newsletter, Connected Leadership, um, on LinkedIn. I mean, so much of my, my practice at Brunswick is helping leaders, uh, make the most of the digital world for their leadership and and influence. 
um, you know, really thinking about social media as a leadership technology. Well, how we first met years ago. Yeah, through the whole Facebook. That's what that is what Craig was working on there. So, well, that's great. I'm a, I'm excited to read more. I was super excited to get your newsletter. So it's uh, it's really really good and a lot of good stuff in there. So definitely follow him there and go out and get the book, The Unforgiving Minute. And uh, and thank you everybody for listening to this episode of The Carol Golden Show. We're here every Monday, Wednesday, and you can follow me on social channels. And if you haven't picked up a copy of my book yet, Undaunted, please do that as well, or get on Audible and and get the download there. It's There's lots of learnings there for sure. And thank you everyone for listening and hope to hear from you as well. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.